0: confidently say to ourselves or, or to the people around us, things will be better in the morning. will be better in the morning. I remember um, when I was a landscape gardener, my boss, uh, he would watch me, uh, maybe we were building a patio, and I got to the fiddly bit by the edge of the house. I needed to make a very precise cut, measure it right, cut it. It's the end of the day, on my seventh attempt. And his big hand would go on my shoulder and he'd go, Tom, go home it will be better in the morning. Of course, he was absolutely right. First thing in the morning, first cut, it's done. Or uh, my parenting skills. Uh, basically, putting my children to bed, it's when all the different aches and pains and struggles, they start to come out. My children know exactly what will come out of my mouth. What you need is some sleep. We'll be better in the morning. To which they look at me and go, I want mum. But it's true, isn't it? When you feel ill, it's worse at night. Those thoughts are loudest in our heads at night, aren't they? And the situations that you or I might be going through often often feel as dark at night as it is outside. Things will be better in the morning. Generally true. Not always. Certainly not for Jesus in our passage. Luke 22, verse 66, we pick it up at daybreak. Over the last few Sunday mornings, we've been traveling through Luke chapter 22 and things have gone pretty badly for Jesus. He's been betrayed by a friend. He spent time anguished in prayer. He's needed his friends by his side, praying for him like spiritual lions. Turns out they're more like sleeping lions. He's arrested. Uh, In the other gospel accounts of Jesus' life, he's, he's questioned with false evidence being brought forward, false witnesses coming forward. Whilst all that's happening... His, one of his closest friends denies all knowledge of knowing him. He's mocked and he's beaten. And as the sunlight breaks through on this morning, Jesus is led out by the religious leaders for the summing up and verdict. Things are not better for Jesus on this morning. And as the day goes on, it, it couldn't get much worse for Jesus, really, could it? Jesus is handed over to be killed while a killer is released in his place. So what are, what are the charges that have been brought before Jesus, trying to be stuck on him? Well, three times in our passage this morning we're told, aren't we? The religious Jewish religious leaders say to Pilate uh, in chapter 23, verse 2, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah. He claims to be a king. Again, verse 5. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. Or then, as Pilate sums it up in verse 14, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. And throughout this passage, it's a bit like watching tennis. And Jesus is a tennis ball, and as he's batted back and forth between all these different people and groups of people, there is a repeated refrain. Three times the charges against Jesus are told us. Three times Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent. Three times Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. And yet in verse 18, we find the crowd shouting out, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And just in case we don't get the irony of the situation. Luke just puts a little side note for us. It's what's in brackets in verse 19. He just tells us Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. The religious leaders and the crowd are, are demanding Jesus be crucified for stirring up the people to rebellion. And yet at the same time, they're demanding Barabbas be released, who actually led an uprising and a rebellion, even committing murder for his cause. And you look at it and go, this makes no sense. It doesn't, does it? It's a miscarriage of justice. That is until we realize that the response to Jesus of everybody uh, in this passage, whether it's Pilate, the religious leaders, Herod, or the crowd, and the action of Jesus himself through this passage all flows out from the fact that Jesus is God's ultimate and promised king. The king who gets rejected so that he can be the king who releases. First, we see that Jesus is the king who who gets rejected. And this should not surprise us. This is not new news. Jesus has been saying this before. Back in chapter 9, verse 22, he told his friends that the son of man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And as Jesus' trial uh, reaches its conclusion, the crunch question for the Jewish religious leaders, what comes in chapter 22, verse 67, you can see it. If you are the Messiah, if you are the God, if you're God's promised king, the longs-for promised king, if, if that's you, tell us. Are you going to be the one who's going to restore God's people? Come on, Jesus, tell us. They're not asking genuinely, though, are they? The religious leaders have already made up their minds what they want to do. The start of chapter twenty-two is very clear that they will do anything to get rid of Jesus, and Jesus knows this. And so he replies, I, I, if, "If I tell you, if I tell you that I'm the Messiah, you won't believe me. And if I ask you," Well, he won't answer me. And then the religious leaders get way more than they expected with what Jesus says next. Verse 67. Jesus says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Those words would have hit the religious leaders with a force we barely could imagine. Because in saying that, Jesus is reaching back into the Old Testament and he's pulling out something from Daniel 7. And he says, what's about to happen to me? The events that are about to unfold mean I am the Son of Man who is given authority, glory, and sovereign power over everyone. It's a pretty big claim. And at the same time, he, he reaches back into the Old Testament again and pulls out something from Psalm 110. And he says, what's about to happen? What's about to unfold? means I'm the one who is given the seat at the right hand of God the Father. I am God's right hand man. I am God's ruler and his judge over everything. Religious leaders are stunned. And they want to get Jesus' claim totally straight in their minds. So Jesus, does this mean, are you saying you are the son of God? You know, that king in Psalm 2, who God says, today you have become my son. Are you claiming to be him? Here is Jesus claiming the authority of God himself. That he is God's king with God's authority. And the response of the religious leaders is to reject him. Is to reject Jesus. How can he be God's promised king? Look at the people he hangs out with. Look at the things that Jesus says. Look at his priorities. They don't fit with us. And we know how life is best lived because we have God's law. You see, when you think you know how life works best and how it is best lived, you have no room for Jesus. The response of Pilate is to reject Jesus. Even though three times Pilate says, this man is innocent, I find no charge. Pilate rejects him by thinking Jesus is just for other people. He's just the king of the Jews. He never makes his mind up for himself, does he? What does Herod think? What does the crowd think? What does everyone else think? You see, if you keep your distance from Jesus, Because there are so many different ideas and opinions about who he is. You'll find that Jesus keeps his distance from you. The response of Herod was to reject Jesus. Herod says, I want a sign. Jesus, I want one of your stunts. And when he doesn't get it, Jesus becomes a bit of a joke to him. Dresses him up in a robe and mocks him, beats him. See, when our interest in Jesus is just about what he can do for us or how he can make life better for us or provide a bit of light relief on the side, we'll find that Jesus is silent. And the response of the crowd to Jesus is to reject him. Now, it might have only begun with a few voices shouting away with this man, release Barabbas to us if you've ever been to a football match, you'll know a few people singing soon catches on into a chant. And suddenly everybody in that crowd is joining together with crucify him, crucify him. How easy it is, isn't it, to be swept uh, along with what the world around us says life is all about, how life should be lived, how happiness should be your number one goal in life. And when that's the case, suddenly Jesus doesn't fit in around here anymore. But you see how Jesus is the innocent king. God's king with God's authority and how he is rejected. And so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, do not be surprised when it feels like those around you, even those who are closest to you, push back on you a little bit because of your faith. Remember, you you follow a rejected king. Don't be surprised if when you just say something small or little about your faith in Jesus, what he means to you, that the response you get from people is, I've no need for Jesus. Or they suddenly start talking about what other religions think about Jesus. Or that they would, you know, I would have faith like you. if God would just do a miracle. Or actually challenge you that what you believe as a Christian. Well, today that's really offensive. You're not allowed to believe things like that. And don't be surprised if when the way of life that Jesus has called you into, the way of life the Holy Spirit empowers you to live, means that sometimes some of these responses pop up in your own heart. When the way of Jesus clashes, we're still in a battle. We have our new self that belongs to Jesus, but it's at war with our old self. Right now, it is Jesus. It is only Jesus who's the one who's released you and is risen from the dead and is the one who is seated at the right hand of the mighty God. No one else. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't yet describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I wonder where in the story you find yourself standing. With the religious leaders, with Pilate, with Herod, with the crowd. What I'd love you to hear this morning. It's if you really, truly want to live life, if you want to live the most authentic life you can live, then that's only possible when you do it under the authority of Jesus, the author of life. A truly authentic life is lived under the authority of the author of life, a life following Jesus himself. Because you see, the story of Jesus being the king who gets rejected well, the story doesn't end there, does it? Jesus is the king who gets rejected so that he might be the king who releases people like you and me. Releases us to follow him. If you were to reread those verses that Brian read to us earlier and ask yourself the question, who's in control? What would your answer be? Is it, is it the religious leaders? I mean, they're the ones who've got hold of Jesus. They're the ones bringing the charges against Jesus. Is it Pilate? I mean, he's the, he's the center point. And Jesus sort of bounces around from Pilate, and he's the one who makes that ultimate call. Or is it, or is it Herod, because his opinion is so highly uh, sought after by Pilate? Or is it the crowds? I mean, just listen again to how, how the passage ended, that Pilate releases uh, the man who has been thrown into prison for insurrection murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will, to the will of the crowd. Is it the crowd who's in control? I tell you, if you read closely, you'll see it's none of them. It's Jesus. See, the religious leaders can't make a charge stick on Jesus. Tell us you're the Messiah. Tell us. Jesus is like, no. But he gives them the charge, doesn't he? He says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And at that point, they go, we've got you. Jesus has given them the charge. When Jesus is accused before Pilate of opposing payments of taxes to Caesar, Jesus could easily have quoted his words back in chapter 20. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But he doesn't. When he was before Herod, Jesus could have turned water into wine. Turned a stone into bread. But he doesn't. When he was before the crowds, he could have slipped through. He's done it before. Right back in in Luke chapter 4 when he's about to be thrown off a cliff by the people he grew up around in Nazareth. Just as he disappeared. But he doesn't. Do you see that Jesus is the one in control? He has authority even over people rejecting him. Jesus' rule, as is so often the case, quietly takes place so that if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. Put on the eyes of faith and you see his rule and authority over every part of every bit of life. Jesus is the king who gets rejected so that he might become the king who releases. He uses his authority. He uses his rule to release people. I wonder if, as Brian read it, you picked up Luke's use of the word release five times in these verses. That is what the king who gets rejected came to do. And it directs our eyes, doesn't it, to the the person of Barabbas. The guilty rebel who deserves the death penalty. If you like, giving a picture of what every human being without Jesus is like. A rebel. Whether our rebellion looks wild or very respectable. Facing the reality of death. And yet, because Jesus is the rejected king, Barabbas gets released. He's set free because Jesus is sent to the cross. Barabbas gets the life that should have been Jesus's, and Jesus gets the death that should have been Barabbas's. It's a picture of the message that is at the heart of the Christian faith. That is why we gather here this morning. And it means this morning and every morning we can say things can be better. Not because our situations will dramatically turn, our thoughts are better, our situations are resolved. No. But because Jesus will quietly be at work, continuing to lead you into that place of freedom, or that place of release. Or perhaps this morning, it might be for the very first time. Release from sin, release from guilt, release from shame, release from needing to prove yourself, release from trying to work everything out for yourself, release from what other people think of you, release from the demands of the world around you, release from the pressure of trying to define and determine who you are, release to live a truly authentic life under the authority of the author of life. The one who right now is seated at the right hand of God the Father, of the mighty God. We sang earlier, turn our eyes to Jesus. He is the rejected king, but he was rejected that we might be released. Praise God. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, with great joy in our hearts that despite the rejection of Jesus, it was all part of your plan. To offer release to people like us. Lord, our hearts are grieved when people reject Jesus. Our hearts are grieved when we find ourselves rejecting bits about Jesus. And so this morning we pray that you would lead us to that place of release. Of knowing Jesus is the one who has all authority. The one who will rule fully and finally. He is the judge of all things. And thank you that he invites us to life with him. Help us by your spirit to be those who, who live that life fully and freely. For we ask it in his name. Amen.